we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikori, an executive director of the center. And today we're going to talk about a different part of America's borders. Usually when we talk about border issues, we talk about the United States border with Mexico, the southern border, which obviously is where most of the problems and action are. But recently there's been a huge increase, percentage-wise, in illegal immigration across the Canadian border. And the numbers are still obviously much lower, but it's related phenomenon and the problem doesn't go away just because it's not quite as disastrous as it is on the southern border. And so we have two analysts from the center to talk about this who have written and spoken about this recently. First, Art Arthur, Andrew Arthur, who testified recently at a hearing for a committee of the House of Representatives specifically on the issue of northern border problems. And Todd Benzman, who has written about it several times recently on our blog. So why don't we start with you, Art? Tell us sort of generally the outlines. What is the issue? Why do we care about what's going on at the northern border? Well, Mark, the numbers are high and are increasingly high. In FY 2021, there were just over 27,000 encounters by CBP. And of course, encounters are the sum total of Border Patrol apprehensions and aliens deemed inadmissible at the ports of entry. In FY 2021, that jumped almost fourfold, more than fourfold in FY 2022 to 109,000. And they're running very high this year as well. In the first five months, there have been almost 69,000 CBP encounters at the northern border, which means that we're on track to see, you know, somewhere around 150,000 northern border encounters this year, which is historically high. In addition, you know, a smaller subset of that, as I noted, are border patrol apprehensions, and they are also running high. In FY 2021, just 916 illegal aliens were apprehended coming over the northern border from Canada. That number jumped to more than 2,200 in FY 2022. And right now, as of the first five months of FY 2023, there have been nearly 2,900 apprehensions at the northern border. And Border Patrol is on track to make about 6,850 apprehensions in FY 2023. But the numbers are actually probably going to be much higher. Because in February alone, and remember February is the shortest month of the year, there were 628 apprehensions at the northern border. That's the highest monthly apprehension total in the last four fiscal years. So the trend lines are going in the wrong direction at the northern border. We're seeing a lot of Mexican nationals, Chinese nationals, and also, interestingly, 
nationals of other countries. CBP keeps a list of 21, you know, migrant sending countries and, you know, breaks those down and then it has one catch all. And the number of migrants who are coming from those other countries is surging right now. So, you know, there's some very serious concerns at the northern border. The other thing to think about is that the southwest border is less than 2,000 miles long. The northern border, on the other hand, is about 2.8 times that. It's 5,525 miles long from the Canadian Atlantic provinces all the way up through Alaska. So, you know, the border is much larger, but the Border Patrol cadre at the northern border is just a fraction, about an eighth of what it is at the southwest border. So you have a much larger border and you have many, many fewer agents protecting that border. So, you know, we can't necessarily say that Border Patrol has caught even a fraction of all of the uh, migrants who have entered illegally over that northern border. And Todd is probably going to get into some of the reasons why we're seeing people coming from Canada right now. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that we've had, even though it's a much longer border, we have fewer agents is because there has been perceived as less need because it's hard to get to Canada. You can't really get there. You can't walk there or take the bus there without going through the United States. You can fly in, but that limits the number of people and the kind of places people can come from. And that's why I wanted to go to you, Todd, because you wrote something about one of the reasons we're seeing increased Mexican illegal immigration from Canada. And I wonder if you explain that a little bit for us. Sure. Well, really, there are two numbers to keep track of here. One are the apprehensions between ports of entry that Art's talking about, which is, which is way up compared to prior years, but still infinitesimal compared to what's going on at the southern border, we should point out. And it might be infinitesimal because, as Art said, there are far fewer Border Patrol agents to apprehend and add to the statistics. But the other high number has to do with folks that are coming in through the ports of entry from all over the world. Those numbers are also really high. And there are different explanations for the ones coming south over the ports of entry and the ones being apprehended between them. So I'll just talk about the ones coming between the ports of entry. Fully half of the 1,600 that were apprehended there in just the first few months of 2023 are Mexicans. And probably double that number have come through the ports of entry. So why is that? Well, one reason is that the Trudeau administration in December of 2016 rescinded a visa requirement for Mexicans to fly in and visit. And there were political reasons for that. Uh, you know, he was appealing to his progressive liberal base up there during the election campaign as Donald Trump was campaigning on a get tough on immigration policy. And as soon as he rescinded that, we saw a very, very significant 1,500% surge of Mexicans flying into Canada on these $7 online kind of visa waiver forms that you could buy and, and obtain in about 10 minutes online. And just to be clear, before that, they had to actually visit the Canadian consulate and go through all the rigmarole of getting a visa. 
So this is dramatically That's easier. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the reason that they had a visa requirement that Trudeau rescinded is because Mexicans were abusing the visa waiver before that in significant numbers, so high a number that the prior government put the visa restriction back in. Right. The, the, the second that Trudeau removed it, of course, it was predicted, predictable and predicted what would happen. So a lot of Mexicans were flying in. And according to leaked Canadian intelligence documents to the Canadian press, a great many of them were criminals with the drug cartels of Mexico, especially Sinaloa and Los Zetas, all came in and set up operations and expanded existing operations up there to move people and drugs south of the border and into Canada as well. That's why we have half uh, the number that are crossing south from Canada right now from Mexico, but obviously they're from a lot of other countries as well that are coming through. And there are other explanations, possible explanations for that that are a little bit more complicated than a visa waiver. Now, to deal with this, you know, beyond just the issue of making Mexicans get visas, which is actually clearly, as you said, a big part of what we're seeing at the Canadian border, there are people from elsewhere in the world. And that's one of the reasons, Art, you can tell us a little bit about the safe third country agreement we had with Canada. It's the only country we had one with, but it only applied to people coming through the ports of entry. So uh, that was changed recently. If you could tell us a little bit about that, Art. Sure. Ever since 2004, the United States has had a safe third country asylum agreement with Canada. And the way that that agreement worked until last month was if a third country national attempted to enter Canada through a port of entry from the United States and make an asylum claim, that individual would be sent back to the United States to make that asylum claim. And the same was true of people coming from Canada, you know, through the ports of entry into the United States. Now, that safe third country asylum agreement only applied to the ports of entry. However, last year, Canada saw nearly 40,000 illegal migrants enter through just one unofficial port of entry at Roxham Road in the uh, province of Quebec. And this has overwhelmed the Canadian asylum system. The Canadian asylum system currently handles about 70,000 cases compared to more than 1.5 million in the United States. Just to be clear, this wasn't, you said it's unofficial port of entry, but in fact, it was not a port of entry. They were basically just stepping across the border illegally and then presenting themselves for asylum in Canada. Is that correct? Yes. And, and that's an important point to make. And thank you for that, Mark. Because, yeah, I mean, this was just a road that was blocked off with some cones, but uh, migrants from all around the world, most of whom were released by the Biden administration at the southwest border, were heading north to Canada, likely to take advantage of the more generous benefits that Canada offers. They offer housing assistance, legal aid, work permits, you know, once you pass a, a physical fitness test in Canada, whereas, you know, we offer some pretty generous benefits in the United States, but nothing like they offer in Canada. And so, you know, people were being drawn north to Canada to take advantage of those benefits. And this became a huge issue, particularly in the province of Quebec. And the uh, premier in the province said enough and put the heat on Ottawa. 
And Prime Minister Trudeau, in turn, put the heat on the Biden administration to expand that safe third country asylum agreement with the United States to include migrants entering Canada illegally. So, you know, we can assume that there would probably be about another 40,000, 50,000 entering Canada this year. They're all going to get turned around. They're all going to be sent back to the United States, which will place a burden on, you know, towns and cities across this country and further burden our asylum system. But it's interesting, Mark, because, you know, the Canadians are very proud of their asylum system, but asylum in Canada is something that the Canadian government likes to, you know, keep safe and legal, if not rare. Whereas in the United States, the Biden administration is treating our asylum system as a bottomless pit that can just be filled with even greater numbers of migrants from, you know, even further corners of the world. Now, this safe third country agreement, even in its original form, I remember I testified before a House committee about it when it was being considered. It really is mainly for Canada's benefit. In other words, the illegal immigrants crossing our northern border one way or the other to claim asylum are mainly coming from the United States going into Canada because they're a softer touch and have better benefits than the rest of it. There's not that many people who are illegally in Canada who are crossing into our country. So, and this was a question, again, this was years ago, almost 20 years ago, I think, but what is the benefit to us to have such an agreement? I mean, I have my own thoughts on that, but, you know, we're essentially doing Canada a favor to our own detriment, are we not? Yeah, and, you know, it's important to consider Canadian geography, certainly vis-a-vis the United States. Canada is bordered on three sides by oceans, the Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Arctic. And the only land border that they actually have is with the United States. There aren't that many American citizens who are, you know, heading north to Canada to apply for asylum. And so to the degree that Canada can send those people who are coming through the United States from Latin America and other countries north into Canada, it benefits Canada almost exclusively. It truly, in my mind, the only real benefit is comedy between nations, C-O-M-I-T-Y, not (laughs) C-O-M-E-D-Y, because, you know, it's good diplomacy not to overwhelm your neighbors with huge numbers of migrants. But you may have some other thoughts as to some other reasons for that. But it also, to some degree, cut down on the number of migrants who would traverse the United States on their way to Canada to take advantage of those benefits. But it seems to me, I mean, I I get the the comedy point, but it seems to me the main benefit for us would be if we had an administration that cared about protecting our borders to make the argument to Mexico. Look, you know, the United States can say we have entered into this safe third country agreement with Canada, even though, frankly, it helps them more than us. So we kind of expect you to do the same thing and agree to a safe third country agreement with regard to Mexico and the United States. You wrote something recently that uh, maybe they're thinking about that, or you're sort of reading tea leaves, kind of Kremlinology, that maybe there's some evidence they're thinking about that? Yeah. So DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was before the U.S. Senate on March 28th testifying about oversight of the Department of Homeland Security. And in response to a line of questioning by Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, you know, Kennedy said, look, we got these, you know, people coming to seek asylum here. Why don't we just send them back to Mexico or, you know, send them out of the country if they haven't applied for asylum in in Mexico? 
And Mayorkas ever so slightly teased the possibility of a safe third country agreement with Mexico, which actually would benefit both the United States and Mexico. Recent reporting from the Wall Street Journal indicates that Mexico is now the third most popular destination for asylum seekers after only the United States and Germany. And, you know, the reason that those people are applying for asylum in Mexico is because they really want asylum in the United States and they want to do whatever they can to get here. And seeking asylum, you know, in Mexico then gives you a jumping off point. So there is a suggestion in Washington that there could be a safe third country agreement. And I don't think that that was a completely offhand comment by Secretary Mayorkas. We certainly haven't seen any reporting on it. From anybody other than me. In fact, I don't even think anybody noticed that he said it. But, you know, it is an important point. It would benefit both nations. The Biden administration is, you know, looking to get this issue, this southwest border issue, off of its plate before the 2024 election. We saw 538 report on that today. So that would be one way that they could deal with it. And it would make sense that the Biden administration, the only sense, the only benefit that expanding safe third country with Canada makes the United States is that it is an example that we can hold up to the Mexican government. Right, exactly. That was kind of the point of my testimony 19 years ago now, whenever it was, which I don't even know if we have that online. But Todd, you wrote about something else with regard to Canada. It's not specifically about the border, but it kind of jumps off from a piece we published that was adapted from your recent book, Overrun, about how Joe Biden created the border crisis. And that was about schools in Texas and the effect, sort of a case study. But you wrote something on our blog about how immigration in general is impacting Canada's healthcare system and how that might be an example or a kind of a, a case study, as it were, for what we might face because of the immigration, not just obviously mainly across the Mexican border, but generally speaking. If you could sort of tell a little bit about that. Sure. And also, I'll just point out that that, that, that development does impact our northern border in a significant, one significant way. In 2020 and in 2021, the number of people crossing through ports of entry and deemed inadmissible and presumably uh, claiming asylum, some significant percentage of them, was 30,000 in 2020, 26,000 in 2021. But in 2022, it jumped to 107,000 plus. Wow. And in 2023, it's on track. It's at 65,000 right now as of February, which means it's on track at that rate to probably hit north of 130,000. So from 30,000 a couple of years ago to 130,000 says something really big is happening. Some other thing is happening in Canada. And what that thing is, is a Trudeau policy to import more immigrants legally into the country than ever in Canada's history. It is the most ambitious legal immigration program ever up there. And they're bringing in, starting in about 2020, 2021 after COVID, about 500,000 a year, which is from all over the world, very significant for a country of 38 million. It looks like they've probably brought in about 5 million people under this program from all over the world legally. But that number at the port coming south that has jumped, you know, fivefold, sixfold 
appears to be, I mean, this is speculative because there's been absolutely no reporting on this whatsoever, that there is a loophole in the third safe country agreement between the two countries that if you have a family member in the United States who's in status, who has some kind of legal status, they're applying for asylum or they're in some kind of other immigration process, that they can claim asylum in the United States through the port of entry. And I don't know for sure that that's what's happening, but I believe that some percentage of those people that Trudeau is bringing in legally are turning right around and heading south over the port of entry claiming asylum here. I'm waiting for somebody to bear that out through reporting. Nobody's really asking the immigrants deep digging down into like, why are they crossing the ports of entry in such massive numbers? But that leads me to the piece that I wrote, which is that the Trudeau government has brought in so many immigrants legally that it has overwhelmed their universal healthcare system. And there is reporting mostly in the Canadian conservative press that hundreds of Canadian citizens are now dying in waiting rooms, in emergency rooms. It has overwhelmed their system completely in all of their most populated areas. And I draw that comparison to our system, which is very different, of course, but the American healthcare system and hospital systems from coast to coast and everything everywhere in between, especially rural hospital systems, are staggering under a load of red debt. Also, in a state of collapse, according to a lot of analysts, healthcare analysts, but nobody's really saying that maybe this is because of our five or six million that have entered from the southern border uninsured right. and are obviously in need of health care. And so these are two big questions that still need more reporting, but are worth uh, raising as questions. Yeah. And in fact, the um, head of the hospital in Yuma, Arizona, testified a few weeks ago. There was a field hearing, a, a, a house Judiciary Committee field hearing in Yuma, Arizona, and the head of the hospital there said their hospital is going bankrupt because of all the illegal immigrants that are crossing. But to get back to Canadian border art, what should we do? What should our response be to this increase of illegal crossings across the Canadian border? Well, I think the the most important takeaway, you know, for any of the listeners is, and I don't think I've ever said this before probably never say it again, but Joe Biden needs to be more like Justin Trudeau. Just, you know, <laughs> he needs to have his eye on the bottom line of, you know, the number of migrants that the United States can take, the number that our asylum system can handle. But, you know, the much bigger issue with respect to the United States and Canada, and I testified on March 28th about the northern border, is this is a diplomatic issue and it can become a, a bigger diplomatic issue with both countries. When I, you know, started in immigration and national security in the late 90s, there was at least a concern that there was a threat coming from Canada. We saw one terrorist who had planned to blow up the Brooklyn subway system who had, you know, entered illegally from Canada. We had another, uh, Ahmed Rassam, who was trying to come in on a fraudulent Canadian passport into the United States to blow up Los Angeles International Airport on the Millennium. So there was concern uh, that there was a terrorist threat, you know, from Canada. Now, Canada has entered into 
a number of agreements with the United States to, you know, tighten up its national security apparatus. And I don't necessarily think that we face the same threat that we did then. The Canadians, on the other hand, you know, are now faced with a largely undefended border. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police is the border patrol in Canada, and they're always understaffed. And their ability to stop people coming into Canada from the United States who may have malign intent is sky high. If I were, you know, with the RCMP, if I were, you know, in the prime minister's office, I'd be very concerned about all of this. But it's a big border. It's, you know, way understaffed uh, with Border Patrol agents. There's very little infrastructure up there. There's a reason why you never see gotaway numbers, because we don't have ground sensors and cameras on the northern border. We don't know who's coming in and who's not. So, you know, there is now a joint national security risk. There's now a joint humanitarian risk on both sides of the northern border. And that is largely because of Joe Biden's border policies at the southwest border. When that border is wide open, that undefended border, the world's longest undefended border, as it's called, needs to be beefed up so that we can protect both nations, you know, certainly in the interest of comedy, but also in the interest of national security in both countries. Hey, Mark, can I? Yeah, please. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Well, so, you know, President Biden just concluded a state visit to Ottawa. And a big topic of discussion there was immigration in the northern border, the spikes over there. And what I thought was interesting is that no one mentioned in in any press on either side of the border or any of the uh, diplomats or either of the leaders mentioned that half of the folks that are coming across between the ports of entry are Mexicans who undoubtedly came in on this visa waiver of Trudeau's. Mm -hmm. So if you want to cut that down by 50% overnight, maybe you might consider putting back a visa restriction on Mexicans, for example, but nobody talked about that. That seems like that would have been a obvious quid pro quo to expanding the safe third country agreement. In other words- Well, there's a scientific term for that, which is called a no-brainer. Yeah, (laughs) right, exactly. Just a quick point with respect to lifting the visa requirement for Mexico. One of the big reasons that the Canadian government did that, in fact, the only one that they've ever really publicly talked about, is their ability to shift Canadian beef to Mexico. There was a mad cow outbreak in the early 2000s in Canada, and most countries you know, shut down the import of Canadian beef into their countries. Uh, Mexico agreed to lift that, and Canadian beef is still a big issue in the prairie provinces. But we know from open source reporting that that visa-free travel to Mexico is actually costing Canada a lot of money. In fact, a second largest group by nationality of asylum seekers in Canada is Mexico after only Indian nationals. So yeah, it would be in the best interest of both the United States and Canada for Canada to revisit that issue, but there are economic reasons for it not to do it. But Mark, let me just put a pin in a point that Todd made. During the press conference after that joint meeting between President Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, as is his wont because he represents a Quebec riding, did half of his statements in English and half of them in French. The only statement that he repeated throughout that entire press conference in English were the ones that touched on immigration. This is a big issue in Canada, and it should be you know, a warning sign for the United States that it needs to be a big issue here, too. 
and certainly taken much more seriously than Joe Biden has. If I could just add one more thing, like in terms of, you know, quick solutions to this, as long as we're talking about amending and tinkering with the safe third country bilateral agreement, if we're looking at 130,000 of Canada's imported immigrants claiming asylum at our ports of entry, why don't we consider closing up that loophole that allows them to be brought into Canada, maybe even on false pretenses. They didn't intend to ever stay in Canada. They plan to immediately turn around and head south. Why not sew up that loophole that allows for that? If we're looking, we, uh, certainly the U.S. asylum system does not need another 130,000 in a year asylum seekers to keep gumming up the, our own system and adding to the already long backlogs. I didn't see anybody talk about that either in any of these agreements. Right. Yeah. So I appreciate you guys coming on. This is an issue that doesn't usually get addressed here south of the border, the Canadian border issue. But as Art suggested, in Canada, it's a big deal. I mean, when there were significant numbers of people, this was even under the Trump administration, there were large numbers of Haitians crossing into Quebec illegally because uh, they were afraid uh, Haitian TPS, or I think it was TPS, it was going to end. They were just, you know, in Canada, they were just screaming bloody murder for what in this country would amount to, you know, eight hours worth of illegal immigration under Biden. So in other words, the stress put on this issue of illegal immigration one way or the other across the U.S.-Canada border, it's a much bigger deal in Canada but as you guys have pointed out, it really needs to be a bigger deal in the United States as well. So thank you to Art Arthur and Todd Benzman talking about the uh, Canadian border issue, U.S.-Canada border issue. We're going to have links in the show notes to the publications. We've talked about a couple of blog posts by Todd. as the testimony by Art recently before uh, a House committee. If something new happens on this in the future, we will have you guys back. So thanks for coming in. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. And finally, I just got back with several people on staff and a number of guests from a border tour on the border with California and Mexico, and then also partly Arizona, basically San Diego to Yuma, Arizona, and back. And we saw a lot of things that, you know, People expect a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of fencing, gaps in the fence, that sort of thing. I think the things we saw in Yuma may have been the most interesting because there are gaps in the fence caused by President Biden's stop work order on inauguration day. So the, they were doing construction and there were just places where the two sides of the fencing were coming together, you know, uh, sort of they were working from opposite ends of a, of a particular area. And they just stopped. And so there are these gaps in the fence. And the Homeland Security Secretary, Mayorkas, said belatedly, I think maybe a year and a half after inauguration, that they would, you know, get around to plugging those gaps, even though President Biden or candidate Biden had said they wouldn't build one inch of more fencing under his administration. The absurdity of these gaps, basically just welcome openings in the fence to illegal crossers, got them at least to commit to plugging them. But when they didn't get around to it, 
the then governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, just had his people plug the holes up with shipping containers. That was a big deal in the news. They were sued by the federal government for trespassing because they were going to lose that case. They did it because of, basically to generate a political reaction. And so they had to remove the shipping containers, and the gaps are still there. We were just there last week, and there was one gap where they were doing some site work. This is the smallest of the gaps, and all they'd done so far, and I had been there a month or a month or so earlier, and in that time between my first and second visit, all they'd done was pour a little bit of concrete as a foundation for the for the fence. They still haven't filled this gap. They are doing it at a very leisurely pace, and I think they're doing it grudgingly. They have no interest in doing that. The other thing we noticed, the second thing I think is notable, is that even if these gaps are fixed, at least in Yuma, and this is a kind of thing that applies elsewhere, the fence ends, in this case, at the Indian Reservation, where they just refuse to have a, a serious pedestrian fence built. I don't know why they have the right to refuse that, but they did. And so the aliens just walk around the end of the fence and turn themselves into the Border Patrol. And we were there in the middle of the night, saw a group of about 30 or so. That night, something like 250 had come across. This was probably the last of the group. A couple of things struck me about this group. First of all, they're coming from all over. I looked around on the other side of the fence and found either full or cut up IDs from uh, Bolivia and Peru and Colombia, Dominican Republic. But also, there were a half a dozen people from Georgia. This is Tbilisi, Georgia, not Atlanta, Georgia. And I talked to them in my halting Russian and uh, said, you know, what are you guys here for? And they basically said, well, we're here, same reason everybody else is here. Uh, you know, it's, the word has gotten out. It's really kind of remarkable that people are coming from places where, you know, it's, you can't really claim any kind of significant persecution. And the other thing that really struck me was something one of the Border Patrol agents said, which was that a lot of these people in this particular area, and this is certainly true elsewhere, are bussed by the smugglers on the Mexican side to where they're going to cross. And then they spend five or 10 minutes, you know, walking from that road across the border, turn themselves into the Border Patrol, and then they're just loaded onto another bus, a Border Patrol bus, and taken to somewhere where they'll be processed and let go. So, I mean, it really does drive home how under Joe Biden, the Border Patrol has been turned into part of the smuggling conspiracy. Instead of keeping people out of the United States, under Biden, the Border Patrol is part of the smuggling network that starts in whatever country people came from, goes through Mexico. There's a brief interruption where they have to walk on foot to cross the border. And then the smuggling network picks right up when the Border Patrol buses them to somewhere where they've got hot food and doctors and telephones and all the rest, and then they're let go. It really is not just appalling in a policy sense, but it's deeply demoralizing to Border Patrol agents. And everybody we talked to, both retired and active, said everyone they know is trying to retire as soon as they're eligible, rather than trying to hang on and keep doing the job as long as they're permitted. So 
you know, things are not good at the border, even though some of the monthly apprehension numbers are down temporarily because the Biden administration is trying to reclassify illegal immigrants as, quote, legal if they come through the port of entry. It's still really bad. And this isn't going to fundamentally change until there's a change of management in charge of the Department of Homeland Security. That's it for this week. This is Mark Krikorian, host of Parsing Immigration Policy. I hope you'll join us again next week.